hand, when something catastrophic happens, illness, what, whatever it is, the one option that we have is to actually to, uh, to turn from God uh, and, and anger and frustration and resentment. Uh, we turn from God and focus on whatever the catastrophic thing is that's happening. Another option that we have uh, is, to, is to turn from the catastrophic thing. We just have this, you know, fatalistic attitude. Well, it is what it is. Que sera, sera. And, and therefore, we just kind of uh, uh, resign ourselves and think, well, there's nothing that I can do, so why even bother? But what the scriptures teach us is that the way we respond is to go to the Lord with the situation, with the lament, with the pain, with the brokenness, with whatever it is that's going on, we bring that to the Lord and we say, what gives? What's going on? Uh, and that's the language of lament. That's what lament teaches us to do. Uh, last week, we looked at lamenting over the, the, the internal problems that we have, right? We, look, we call, use the language of scripture, use the language of sin, uh, and said that if we, we begin there, because by beginning there, we recognize as we move into the series of laments, laments that um, we come with humility, right? We recognize that we can be the cause of other people's laments, uh, and so therefore, as we begin this, we recognize we need the gospel for ourselves. Uh, when we think of the word catastrophe, right? A catastrophe, I looked this up because like, what is the definition? So Google's definition, uh, there are many definitions, but this is Google's. Uh, a, a catastrophe is an event causing great and often sudden damage or suffering a disaster, uh, is a catastrophe. Now we have lots of different types of catastrophes, right? There's personal catastrophes. Uh, one of the amazing things about being a pastor is that you all uh, share your life with me, uh, that you tell me stories, you tell me about the things that are going on. And so I've had the privilege of having some, some of you share uh, abuse that you've suffered, uh, illnesses that you've struggled with, the loss of children, uh, all kinds of different things. And so I recognize that even as we're talking about catastrophe, that for some of you, catastrophe is not just what's happening in other parts of the world, but that the things that you have experienced in your life are catastrophic, right? There are these events that come in and bring great sorrow and pain. And so this is not just this like esoteric kind of out there topic, but it can be a very personal topic. Second, we have national catastrophes. So these are the kinds of things that happen. For example, the, the train derailment in Ohio or the one that happened in Greece uh, recently, right? Where, where entire regions of a country are all of a sudden now being affected. I was just reading recently a long form article about Haiti, the island nation in the Caribbean, and, and just the utter desolation of that island over, over I mean, centuries of things that have happened where it is now just, it is a lawless place. Uh, what's happening there is absolutely catastrophic bombings, mass shootings, famine, human right violation, human rights violations in places like Iran and Nigeria and Myanmar, right? The list goes on and on and on of the kinds of national catastrophes that we know about. And then there's these, then there's their global catastrophes, right? There are these things that, that end up affecting the world. Have you heard of this thing called COVID, right? Uh, we experienced that recently in our own lives, but the war in Ukraine 
I mean, that's affected not just Russia and Ukraine, but it's affected Europe and it's affected us in financial ways. I mean, these things have reverberations because we live in a connected world. Uh, and, And the reality is that some of us by our vocations, some of us by the nature of the kind of work that we do are actually working to minimize catastrophes. Right. I was having lunch with somebody this week. It struck me this week. I was having lunch with somebody this week that does uh, research, uh, meteorological research. And we're talking about the work that she does. And I was like, oh, like, yeah, right. There are people here that the work you do is actually working against these kinds of things. Right. Some of you are in finance. And so you work in order to prevent financial catastrophe for people. Some of you are in healthcare, and so you work to prevent uh, the the catastrophe of great illness uh, in people's lives. Some of you are in public health, uh, and so you worked on the front lines when the pandemic was going on. Some of you do research and science, so you're working on things like global warming. Uh, some of you are in law enforcement and military. And so there's, there's on all of these different ways. And I, and I know I'm not thinking of everything, right? Uh, where you are all doing the work of preventing catastrophes and yet they happen, right? Sometimes they happen because we bring it on each other, right? Through war, through bombings, through mass shootings. And sometimes it happens because the world is groaning and waiting for its redemption. We think of earthquakes and hurricanes and tornadoes. Psalm 44 teaches us how to turn to God in the midst of those things. Uh, Psalm 44, so we're going to do the same thing that we did last week. We're going to look at the movement of a psalm of lament, turning to God, uh, 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 crying uh, crying out at the lament, and then holding out hope will be the three points that we look at. Same thing that we did last week. Those are the three parts of a lament, uh, of most laments, and those are the three parts of how we're structuring the service. Uh, so real quick note, Sons of Korah, interesting group of, uh, of individuals. So the Sons of Korah were this priestly family. Uh, they were the guards of the temple. Uh, so they're the ones that stood guard outside of the temple to make sure nobody that went in that they weren't supposed to go in. But they're also these poets. Uh, and give us a number of psalms. So they're very similar in that respect to David, right? They, they have this, this uh, poet-warrior kind of vibe going on. And so it's really appropriate that because they hold this, these dual roles that they're bringing us a lament over a military defeat. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, kids, I was having a conversation yesterday at uh, somebody's birthday party about stories where uh, rodents are the protagonists. And I thought it would be appropriate to have an opening illustration about a rabbit protagonist. So there's a story called The Green Ember. Uh, The Green Ember is this make-believe story about rabbits that live in a land called Natalia. And, uh, And this great catastrophe has happened where their king was betrayed Uh, And now they're being ruled by these other beasts uh, that are, you know, beasts of carnivorous beasts, right? They kill rabbits. Um, And so there's this one scene where the rabbits are all together and they have this like time where they they lament what's going on. And this is what the scene says. Uh, Three rabbits come on stage, one with a lute, one with a tin whistle, and the last with no instrument standing between the others. Her hands were folded together behind her back and she closed her eyes as her fellows began to play. 
the crowd quieted again. And this is the line that really jumped out at me. The music was lovely. It was a lament. It, uh, the music was lovely, but sad. It was a lament, both with joy enough to break your heart. Heather, one of the principal characters, was stirred even before the rabbit in the middle began to sing. When she did, Heather could not hold back her tears. And this is how the lament starts. The skies once so blue and beautiful are littered with crass, cruel foes. Their beaks, black wings, beat with dreadful beat over sorrowful songs of woes. So you can tell right now, right? These birds of prey are coming in, swooping down and attacking them. We're going to come back to that lament in a little bit. Psalm 44, the reason that didn't that is because Psalm 44, if you just read the first eight verses, it's, it's like, a, it's a song of praise. It's a song of joy. Uh, and then you get to the second, the middle part, and you realize just how true it is that the Psalms can have this tension where there's great joy in the midst of real sadness. So it starts off in verses one to three, uh, thinking about the distant past. Uh, so, so here, what we're seeing is that they're, they're thinking about early days of Israel as they're coming into the land and they're, they're conquering their enemies and they're, they're having all of these military victories. And they're saying, God, you were so faithful back then in order to take care of us. And then it transitions in verses, um, in verses four to eight to talk about more recent things that have happened. We were the, 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 it changes from our ancestors to now us, we are doing these things. And what's really interesting right there in the middle, it says this, it says in verse three, uh, it was not by their sword that they won the land, nor did their arm bring them victory. It was your right hand, your arm. Listen to this, the light of your face for you love them. Um, Often, if you worship here regularly, you know that one of the benedictions that I often give at the end uh, is may the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. Kids, uh, uh, have you ever done this? I've done this, right? When you're being reprimanded, when you're being corrected, and, and what do you do, right? You kind of like look away from your parents. You don't want to see their face. Uh, there's something about when things aren't going well that you want to turn your face away from the person that's correcting you. Well, here the psalm, hold on to that idea because we're going to see it in a little bit. But here at the beginning, it's saying, God, you showed us your face. You showed us your favor. We knew that we were in a good relationship with you when all of this was going on. Now, uh, what's, what's really fascinating about this is if you were here last week, we saw that David in Psalm 51 used God's character to talk about, to set himself up for bringing the lament. But here, the sons of Korah are not talking about God's character. They're talking about God's actions, right? You were faithful with us when we were taking over the land of promise. Actions way in the distant past from the sons of Korah. More recently, in the battles that we've had, you've been faithful to us and you have allowed us to be able uh, to have victory over our enemies. And what's really interesting about this is that um, the, the, if, you, if you listen to the psalm, it begins by our ancestors have told us these things. Part of the reason why we as a church rehearse the stories of the Bible, 
part of the reason why we like, hey, why are we going to take time to memorize a couple passages of scripture? Why is it that we uh, are putting so much time and energy and so I'm so grateful for the work that Chris and Christine are doing with our youth and our kids, right? It's not just so that we can say we have a youth program and a children's ministry program. I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with having those things, right? But it's not just so we can say we got that check the box, right? Um, We're told in Judges 2 that there was a generation that did not know what God had done. And so therefore they turned away from the Lord. Uh, But in Psalm 145, we're told this, great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. Listen to this, one generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. Church, uh, first, you're getting two, you're getting application in the first point. All right. Um, When you volunteer for children's ministry or youth ministry stuff, when you sing really loudly next to a kid, when you memorize scripture with our children, when you just have a, a conversation with our kids after the service, you are doing the work with us of letting the next generation know the acts of God. That's a powerful thing. That's a really powerful thing. We're setting up our children to be able to bring their laments in the future. But that means second application, not just one, two points of application in the first point, but that means that we need to be able to have a category, a list of the ways that God has been faithful to us in the distant past. So we have the Bible, right? We have the stories of scripture, where we see how God was faithful to Israel, how God, Jesus was faithful to the apostles and the church. But also, right, we have church history. We read all these stories about amazing women and men who follow Jesus and serve Jesus in all of these wonderful ways. And we can draw from those stories in order to see God was faithful then. But then in recent times, just like Psalm 44 does, right, we have the stories of one another, We have the stories of what God is doing in other parts of the world, how God is using brothers and sisters in other countries uh, to faithfully follow him. And then in our own lives, right? That we share these stories with one another, that we're able to catalog the mighty acts of God because what's inevitably gonna happen is that there's gonna come a point where catastrophe is gonna strike. And we have to have something to hold on to when catastrophe strikes. And that's what happens in Psalm 44. Things have been going really well. Joy, right? Happiness. Uh, We're able to defeat our enemies. And then all of a sudden, Psalm 44 takes the shift and says, but God, now you have deserted us to our foes. Now, pause. Sidebar. Um, So, When we read the Psalms, when we read the Old Testament, and when we're trying to make sense of the Old Testament, it's really important for us to recognize that we are not living in the same period of time that the authors of the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament in particular, God decided to work through a nation called Israel. 
And so when that nation experienced military victory, that was a sign of God's favor. And when they experienced military defeat, that was a sign of God's, oftentimes a sign of God's displeasure. Not always, as Psalm 44 teaches us. And so the logic of Psalm 44 makes sense for an Israelite living 2,000 years, no, more than that, 4,000 years ago, right? In a way that it doesn't make sense for us now because God no longer works through nation states. He now works through the church. The problem is that the church hasn't always gotten this. Remember the conversation we had a few weeks back about Christendom? So Christendom is this time period where the church... Uh, comes into this privileged position. And one of, the, out, one of the, the consequences of that was that faith and politics got married to one another. And, and, you, can, and you can see several, you can see this in lots of ways, but, but, but three that I'll just point really quickly. First of all, from the year 800 to the year 1800 in Europe, the Pope, the Pope is the head of the Roman Catholic Church, vested power on one king in Europe and called that king the Holy Roman Emperor. So the Holy Roman Emperor was basically the Pope's king. That's the person the Pope worked through to figure out whatever political machinations the Pope needed to have, right? The marriage of politics and faith. To this day in Great Britain, King Charles, the new king, soon to be coronated of of Great Britain, right? Is the head of the Anglican church. It's the marriage of faith and politics. In our own country, we see that same thing uh, in lots of different ways, but that's when you see, if you're, if you're hearing conversations, there's a lot of conversation recently about Christian nationalism. That's, what, that's what's being talked about, where there's this un, unbiblical marriage of faith and politics. And so we're about to enter into the lament. And so we just have to like recognize, we have to be careful how we make these applications, all right? Sidebar over. So what happens is that um, the, 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 the sons of Korah bring in and they say, Lord, what gives? What gives? You have allowed us to be defeated. And, and the language here, and this is the part that's really important for us, right? Notice just how blunt they are. Listen to this. Um, we've been plundered. We have been devoured like sheep. We have been scattered among the nations. We have been sold into slavery, sold for nothing into slavery. Like you didn't even make a profit from selling us into slavery. That's how absolutely frustrated the sons of Korah are. Why on earth have you done this? And as if that's not enough, not only that we've been defeated, but you've humiliated us. We are a reproach. We are scorn. We are subject of derision. We are a disgrace. Our faces are covered in shame. Do you, when, when, you, when we deal with catastrophe in our lives, we have the freedom to go to God and say, what on earth are you doing? Why are you letting this happen? Do you not realize what you're doing? How, how could this be? Like you have the freedom to talk to God like that. Can't, can't stay there, right? That's where, the, that's where the psalm moves us. But the book of Psalms tells us that it is appropriate for God's people to bring the full blunt of their emotional capacity before the Lord and that he can take it. 
he can take it. I was this, uh, not too, not too long ago, I was praying with a group of people uh, and we're praying for some different things. And one individual, uh, we're praying for someone who had lost a child. And uh, this individual that was praying had, had also experienced that. Uh, And, and that prayer was, uh, it was one of the most powerful prayers uh, to the point where like, it was hard to listen to. Um, and it was hard to listen to because of the, just the, the emotional weight of the words that were being sent. And as I was sitting there, I was like, this is what it's like to sit in a lament. Cause it's hard, right? Like we don't know, like, like we're not Israel, right? We're, this happened thousands of years ago. And so we read the Psalm and it can just feel, there's just a distance that we can't cross with some of these Psalms. But when we sit next to somebody and they are in the process of lamenting over something that we know, and you just sit in that, you're like, oh, Lord Jesus, I, my soul needed to experience a lament like this. To be able to like, man, like there are really horrible things that happen in our world and you care. And we can bring these things before you. The fact of the matter, and part of the frustration for the sons of Korah is that they're like, it would make sense if this was going on if we'd sinned against you. But we haven't sinned against you. You know. They say like, you you can look and you can tell we've not worshiped other gods. We've not done these things that would deserve what is happening to us. And that's the reality of catastrophe, right? So often we recognize like these things happen and you're like, but... But why? Like, what? Why is this going on? It's not. It's not like uh, Sarah Jane was praying. Was thinking like, oh yeah, it's winter in Turkey and Syria. Like they're cold. They didn't do anything to deserve an earthquake. It's not their fault that an earthquake leveled those cities. The people in Ukraine weren't picking a fight with Russia, and Russia got aggravated and said, "Enough's enough. We're going to come in and take you over." We've not done anything wrong. Have you ever felt that? The weight of that? Where things are going on and you're just like, I don't understand why you're letting this happen. The logic of this for the sons of Korah, and this is part of what we have to like, there's a tension here that scripture teaches us is that that, um, there was a logic in the ancient world that if you're good, good things will happen to you. And if you're bad, bad things will happen to you. Right, we see that today. Uh, if if you if you know anything of like teaching of like uh, uh, teachings that are in line with like karma, if you're good, good things will happen. If you're bad, bad things will happen. Even in Christianity, right, we can have people who will uh, will will really settle on that. You see that in in especially in a prosperity gospel, uh, in really fundamentalist movements within Christianity where it's just this really black and white. If you're good, good things will happen. If you're bad, bad things will happen. And what scripture says is it's just not that simple. It is true. Very often it is true that if you are doing, if you're following the Lord, that blessings will flow out of that. And if you're not following the Lord, that there will be consequences. But the just will also suffer. 
And that's what Psalm 44 is bringing us. The just suffer. We have a whole book of the Bible, the book of Job, that is an extended meditation on the fact that the just will also suffer. Sometimes a catastrophe makes no sense. And we cry out to God and we're like, I don't know what I did. And we didn't do anything. To deserve that. We're sinners, right? We understand that. But I'm I'm intentionally, I know some of you are like, but we're sinners. Yeah, I know all that. I got that. I'm a Presbyterian. I got that. But that's not what I want to focus on today. Right? Take as an assumption that I believe in the sinfulness of everybody. That's an assumption. And we sit here and we sit in the tension. So, so remember that song, right? The rabbit, you see, you see what they were saying, right? A song that was, how did they put it? The music was lovely, but sad. It was a lament, but with joy enough to break your heart. So Psalm 44 fits that bill. It starts off with the joy. Lord, you've been so faithful to us. And it moves into the lament. What on earth is going on? And so then we move to the hope. We move to the last movement of the psalm. Did you notice how when Kate was reading it, her voice changed? I love that. Wake up! You ever talk to God like that? Wake up! Get up! Do something! Show us your face. Right? It says, you've hidden your face from us. Remember, before it said, you've shown us your face. Now it's saying, you've hidden your face. Show us your face. We want your favor again. Help us do something. It strikes me, and this several, several of the folks that I was reading this week noted that. It's interesting that the psalm, the last two words are what? If you have a Bible open. What are the last two words? The bulletin open. Unfailing love unfailing love, right? Isn't that beautiful? The last two words of the song set us up for what God is going to do. So um, the gospel, the gospel is this, the story that we believe. And it's a story that we believe that God woke up, that he turned his face, that he heard your cry and that he did something about it. Because of his unfailing love. Remember what Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, that he should give his life for his friends. But the gospel is not just that Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the dead to save you from your sin. That's not, that's not, if you believe that that's the entirety of the gospel, you have a very shallow view of what Jesus has done. Because the gospel also teaches us that Jesus is right now interceding on your behalf. The gospel also teaches us that right now, as we deal with the catastrophes of life, that we have somebody in heaven, we have somebody in heaven who's doing something about it. Uh, So Psalm 44 gets quoted in Romans 8. Let me read this portion of Romans 8 for you. Who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Translation, what catastrophe will be able to separate you from the love of God? And then 
Paul quotes Psalm 44. For your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered a sheep to be slaughtered. Then he answers his own question. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither any height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So uh, that song that those three rabbits played in The Green Ember continues. Uh, so you have to know S.D. Smith, the author, is a Christian, and so it, the story totally has these Christian themes uh, woven into it. Uh, and so King Jupiter had been betrayed, uh, and the hope was that one day King Jupiter would return, uh, and when King Jupiter returned, everything that had happened in Italia would be fixed, and then they would experience what was known as the mended wood. So this is how the lament ends. But it will not be so in the mended wood. We will be free and glad again. It will not be so in the mended wood when the heir of Jupiter reigns. See, the gospel is the story that God steps into the catastrophe. He steps into the catastrophe through Jesus Christ. Uh, and then he, he, he becomes the just one who suffers unjustly. Do you see that? Psalm 44 says, Lord, why do the just suffer unjustly? And then Jesus comes and says, like, the reason that the just suffer unjustly is because I am the truly just one, Jesus says. And I had to suffer unjustly. And so when you follow me, this is the point that Paul is actually making, is that when you follow me and you deal with the, the, the catastrophes of life and the pain of life and the suffering of life, that you do it as people who are in union with Jesus through your faith in him. And so therefore, it doesn't minimize in any way, shape, or form the frustration, right? Like you heard me say, like we the Psalms teach us that we have the capacity, we have the ability to go before the Lord and be brutally honest with him about what we're experiencing. But what the Psalms also teach us is that we can't stay there, that we have to take the next step of hoping in him. And what Psalm 44 teaches us is that the way of hoping in him Thanks to Paul, the way of hoping in him is to say, in all things, Jesus will be the conqueror and nothing can separate me from his love. Does that make the pain of what I'm going through right now go away? Not necessarily. Right? That's why I said at the beginning, some of us are in vocations that seek to alleviate catastrophe. That's why we do that work as the hands and feet of Jesus. But our hope is not in this world as it is now. Our ultimate hope is in the mended wood. Our ultimate hope is in the new heavens and the new earth. Because in that world, when King Jesus returns, there will be no more catastrophes. Uh, Let's pray.